Hello, and welcome to the Green Minds podcast. Showcasing the science, stories and solutions behind climate change with Phoebe Scott, Alex Miller, Lottie Flashness and Guy Wilkinson. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the IB Green Minds podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Nikolai Christoph, who is lead of the Space and Mobility Division at the World Economic Forum. Welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast, Nikolai. It's terrific to be here, Alex, and uh, very much looking forward to the conversation. Great. So to set the scene, please could you just give a brief introduction about yourself, including your background and your career to date? Yeah, with pleasure. So I have a bit of an uh, interesting background. Um, I'm a Russian-Canadian, having, uh, having sort of you know, uh, been brought up my first years in, in Russia and then uh, having emigrated to, to Canada, finishing my high school there, doing the bachelor's there, which is actually where I sort of started having a particular interest in, in space overall. So it was good to explore a little bit if you're doing studies and, or, or things that you see. I saw a telescope in one of the roofs of the building. So that sort of, you know, just sort of put me a little bit on the path, I think. And, and actually having, you know, st- starting doing some courses um, on astrophysics a little bit, on some of the basics at least. And then, and then actually I had a chance to move to Europe and then continue my education here, in particular in, 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 sort of in Geneva, where I am right now in Switzerland. I uh, did my master's degree here in international business and uh, had opportunity to join the World Economic Forum, uh, which was pretty amazing at the time. So it's been, it's been about 12 years now, and I've moved around a little bit within the organization. So I've started out a little bit more on the content, on the knowledge management side, sort of managing different stakeholder communities of experts on different topics. Uh, already started looking a little bit at space at that time. Um, and then very quickly, I had opportunity to join a sort of business engagement team. And for, for five or six years, I was doing key account management with some of our mobility partners. So folks like uh, DHL, UPS, uh, Volkswagen Group, uh, Lufthansa, Airbus, uh, but also some of the en- energy and infrastructure folks. And of course, there are a lot of interesting connections between the industries. Uh, so it was fascinating to work uh, with some of these global companies and understand their strategic interests uh, and helping them take advantage of the different content areas of the forum. And then uh, again, you know, it's, it's, I think it's all always about looking for opportunities and, and sort of uh, not, not letting opportunities go by you. I, uh, I started focusing more on space. Uh, so actually had an opportunity, you know, the environment was flexible enough or the organization was flexible enough to allow me to do actually a specific content role while maintaining my sort of account management role. So started working with specifically with the space uh, Global Future Council, which is a, which I manage to this day, which is a sort of a group of external stakeholders from across the world on the space sector. I also had opportunity to join uh, an internal leadership program, which is called Global Leadership Fellows, where you basically continue working, but you have these academic weeks and in, in pretty terrific and, and, and really some of the top leadership institutions around the world looking at different aspects of leadership. And, and then also I had an opportunity to move to New York for a couple of years. And so um, started when I was in New York, I actually started, I focused more on content. Um, so I, I actually had opportunity to lead our newly created industry community for airspace. Uh, so really focusing on issues, basically link, you know, going up from anything from drones to, to aircraft uh, all the way up to space and really working with the OEMs, uh, manufacturers on issues from employment, to certification to sustainability. And uh, again, obviously up to space also on sustainability. We can talk a little bit about more uh, on that. 
and then moved back to Geneva. Um, so now I, I, I sort of focus uh, really specifically in space now and, and, and still part of the broader mobility platform, which looks at all these issues linked to sustainability of different mobility sectors. So, you know, topics of movement of people and goods, um, safety and security. So issues with uh, autonomous questions, right? As autonomy is coming in more, uh, but also a little bit inclusivity as well. So that's a little bit the, the journey, uh, a little bit of continent hopping, but now, now back in Europe, and um, yeah, that's a little bit the the, the years of, of my life. Right. No, that sounds fascinating. And um, just digging a bit more into your current role, as I mentioned, leader of space mobility. Could you just explain you know, a little bit more about what that involves, maybe day to day and sort of more high level year year to year? Yeah. So really, the you know the the, the one thing that's important is that the organization that I that I'm part of is a, is a pretty unique place. It's an international organization, uh, so that's one. And we have a pretty unique position and opportunity to work uh, with our international partners. Uh, and critically, that's uh, governments, so public sector, business, but also civil society, right? So really uh, working with all the different stakeholders on addressing some of these unique global challenges. And sometimes those challenges are a little bit more regional, perhaps in nature, but we really try to look at issues which are either not being addressed somewhere else because of the nature of an issue or, or, or because they're very difficult to perhaps tackle somewhere else. Uh, and of course, now in, in the world we live in, there are lots of areas that you know, business associations just cannot work on alone. Governments alone cannot, uh, cannot really tackle and civil society alone cannot, cannot manage. You really, certainly, obviously, the topic of sustainability and is, is one of them, right? We really need everybody at the table working together. So, and, and the forum covers all sorts of topics, right? From, from pretty much all the industries to some of the big global issues um, like climate, sustainability, to trade, food security, education, um, diversity. So, and, you know, in, within the space sector, what's, what's really amazing is, of course, you know, it's, we're in this new age, right? With this cliche term, new space, right? But really, as of, you know, last uh, 10, 15 years, things have been changing so much. And there is so much happening in the sector. There's so many things to look forward to but also to work through, right? And so it's basically, you have, to, you have to work with external stakeholders, understand the trends, bring stakeholders together for conversations to, to either define certain big challenges, and then actually work uh, through some of these things and say, well, where can we help? Where can our platform help all of you to sort of come together and, and push a solution, potential solution, or just understanding of an issue forward? So it's a little bit of all those things. It's it's also you know doing a little bit of uh, even even business development to a certain extent because we're we're an international organization, so we're nonprofit, of course. But we, we you know we function uh, in such a neutral way because uh, we have such a large uh, diversity and range of, of members, and, and that's that's how we, we are able to 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 perform all the activities. Uh, so it's a little bit of everything. It's we it's also pretty uh, flat structure, right? So you have to do all types of work, but it's pretty exciting. Um, and then as, again, as, as space, as the issue itself sits sits as part of a broader mobility platform. You sort of working with some of the other sectors. Sometimes, before I was focusing on on also supporting a little bit more the mobility platform itself. Um, there are lots of interesting questions of you know how do you how do you work between different sectors? You know, again, if you look at sustainability, if you're looking at uh, net zero. Uh, goals for some of these hard to abate sectors, aviation, maritime, and, and, and heavy industry, heavy trucking, you know, there's lots of interconnections. 
So that's just one example where you have to sort of work through um, with external stakeholders to figure out how you run some of those projects where the overlay over overlaps, where the, you can leverage some, certain things. So, but that's a little bit, you know, the day-to-day. -day. And again, it, it ranges from, from all the obviously the basic external stakeholder uh, interactions to, to following, understanding the trends, to trying to suggest some new ideas and, and, and push them forward with our partners. Right. It sounds like a very dynamic and interesting career. Um, so just now moving on to the space economy, could you just give an overview of what we mean by the term space economy and maybe just a bit of background as to recent trends, current you know, economic size and value terms um, and anything else that you think will be interesting for the listeners on that side? Yeah, so so the space economy is 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 a pretty big term actually, and there you know there's there are actually a couple of different ways that certain organizations try to calculate it. By some estimates, it's approaching 400 billion, maybe just a bit under. Some estimates uh, would put it uh, above 400 billion, and it's been growing consistently at five, six, seven percent over the last uh, couple of decades. Um, there's been a lot of private money coming in. So um, Bryce Tech uh, puts out uh, regular sort of updates and reports, for example, at one of the organizations really that puts a lot of information on the space sector. But I think the, the, their recent number was that there's been about close to 8 billion in investments, private investment going into the sector uh, at all different levels, stages of company growth in 2020. Um, that's despite the pandemic. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a record, uh, I think, if, if, if I remember correctly, from the years before. The interesting thing is that it's, it's a lot of that, of course, is focused, a uh, big chunk is that actually it's ground segment, right? So it does include having things like radars on the ground, the ground stations to receive and, and uh, send communications. It also includes, obviously, the ground sector uh, and the segment for launch, for the launch preparations. You can argue that it's comparatively, you know, the, the actual number of in-space Activities is a little bit lower than that, but it's but it's a growing sector, right? And there are lots of lots of things that are part of that. There's a big component of that, which is which is government services and intelligence, of course. But the space sector, of course, includes uh, things like you know things that we use every day, right? And that where it's actually quite critical, it's things like GPS signals, it's things like communications, whether it's your satellite dish or it's communications for disaster response where really the community has, has been showing really a, a terrific collaboration since, since many, many years, uh, having a number of sort of agreements in the courts to help provide quick and free communication uh, in many cases to disaster areas, right? Because this, a lot of times you, you come in there with, with international agencies or organizations to help if it's an earthquake or if it's a, if it's a you know, flood situation or, or anything like that, right? there's, there's nothing there, infrastructure is wiped out. So Satellite provides the only way of, of reaching and setting up the communications there. Um, communications, of course, is a sector that's been uh, really exploding now with different constellations and, and uh, with different types of business models, providing sort of communications to hard to reach places, right? That, that before perhaps you could have a satellite phone, but it was just perhaps just too expensive, right? You couldn't easily get internet con connections in, in a small remote location or a small village somewhere. Um, but now you have business models which allow you for a reasonable amount of money to actually have uh, a small antenna on the rooftop and get internet at, at pretty good speeds. And, and, and those business models are, are sort of rolling out, uh, being rolled out. But there's, there is a reason for all that as well. It's, it's linked to technology and technology getting smaller. It's linked to, to, to launch, uh, more launch vehicles, obviously. 
then uh, you know there's a there's a huge component. I think I you know it's it's not to forget is is on science and what space sector through Earth observation uh, does for for climate change and climate change monitoring. Uh, so actually, this, uh, the, the council that I that I work with, the Global Future Council on Space, is actually going to be publishing a report quite soon on space for net zero. Right. So all the capabilities that that is particularly looking at uh, and tracking um, greenhouse gases, uh, particularly carbon dioxide and methane, and and new missions going online in the next couple of years are going to be able to provide much better analysis and understand where those leaks are, uh, where the concentrations are. To give policymakers, a, you know, much better data on that. So those are some exciting things, you know, uh, that are part of the sector, you know. And then, of course, there are science missions which are more for exploration. Typically, they probably be a, a smaller part of that of that budget. But yeah, Earth observation, of course, is you know, you have everything also that monitoring of traffic and understanding optimizing traffic routes as well. Now, there's a lot of new companies in the last ten years uh, that that are able to do that, provide those services, data analytics. Um, there's a big component again that I said it's for intelligence, uh, but there's also sort of military. You know, the military is, is a big component of that, and it's always more difficult to put sort of numbers on that. But that's a little bit, I think, the sector in, in a few words. But again, there's lots of change. All those subsectors are changing. There are new things that are going online. Lots of exciting things happening on exploration as well as we look to the future. And then there are things which are not there yet, but are going to be there in 10, 20, 30 years, like solar. Uh, power generation potentially, you know, that we've it's it's been deemed up until now not very feasible in the near future. But there, I've you know, I've been hearing more and more sort of rumors or conversations about the potential of solar uh, generation in orbit for transmission back on Earth to help uh, get to net zero by 2050. You know, whether that could happen a little bit before as as a viable alternative source of energy, or maybe beyond that. You know, of course, there's all the other things like manufacturing in orbit and things like that uh, and resources, of course. Uh, but that's, again, that's probably a little bit more into the future. Mm. And obviously, we had the uh, recent successful private flights into space. Is that um, something which is really significant for the future? Or is that a bit of a side distraction as to all the other potential capabilities that the space economy could bring? It's a good question. And, you know, I think we've seen some of those, some articles Having 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 sort of mixed uh, reactions to some of those private space flights. I mean, look as we've said, the space sector is is pretty broad, and it's gonna it's gonna get even sort of broader in terms of the types of things that that happen in space. So you know the benefits uh, the benefits are are tremendous. You know, there's a lot of also the other thing we didn't really talk about. There's a lot of technology transfer uh, from space. Uh, so a lot of new things that that've been developed uh, created for the space sector have been passed down and, and, and we use them every day on earth, right? So that's going to continue, I think, with, with because, again, because of the harsh environments that, that space provides, zero gravity. The private space flight and the, and, the, and the private space tourism helps support the broader space sector, right? So, you know, I think on one hand, you, you know, there are some questions about, well, it's, it's just for fun. It's, 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 not, it's not very serious. But of course, we have to remember that it's the investment in launch makes launch cheaper for other yeah. products, right? And so it, it makes it easier to do other things in orbit. It makes it cheaper to do uh, also science. So it's, it's, everything's interlinked, right? It's not in and of itself, uh, somebody going on a short flight. And as that sector matures, as the sector grows, uh, you'll have other business models that open up. But again, they permit other things to, to happen at a lower price point and new things that we may be not even thinking about now really um, so I think that's how I would look at it. You know, there are certainly 
again, as, as I referred to before, there are certainly challenges and questions we have to address as, as in any sector, whether it's things like orbital debris or atmospheric emissions, you know, I think we have to, we have to look at them and understand what the challenges are, how we address them. And, uh, you know, but, but, but again, the sector is, is there's so much value, I think, for, for humanity that the sector brings. We have to just be responsible as a responsible sector, responsible industry, and, and, and do that in a, in a way that doesn't jeopardize either other things or doesn't jeopardize some of those sort of really public good benefits that the sector brings. Yeah, so well, that takes me quite nicely onto the onto my next question, which is around the space sustainability rating, which the World Economic Forum was recently involved in. Could you explain really what this is and why it's needed? We've touched on various points, but more directly. Yeah, no, indeed. So looking specifically at orbital debris, right? So orbital debris, so space junk, as as some would call it, right? I mean, I think in the sector we would like a little bit more technical term but actually it's 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 probably one of the biggest problems right now we have in the space sector when you really look at the the orbits around earth right and it's a fascinating environment you know the orbits officially start depending on which which line you like to 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 consider is it if you consider it 85 kilometers or 100 kilometers i'm not sure it's actually that that relevant for when you really talk about the the orbital environment, I think atmospheric maybe uh, differences are are important there. But, you know, if you put anything in orbit, for it to go around the Earth, you really have to be a little bit higher anyways, because otherwise there's still quite a lot of atmospheric molecules and you you have quite a lot of drag. And so you actually, you re-enter pretty quickly, it slows you down. Because to get into orbit, you have to actually reach a pretty amazing speed of about 27,000 kilometers an hour, right? So that's the orbital velocity. To get into orbit, which means you basically, if you sort of up on your basic physics, right, you're basically continually falling down to Earth, but you're traveling so fast that if you travel that fast, you fall, you travel, you fall. And so you, that's basically what, what orbital speed is, right? And that's why you need all these powerful engines to rise up through the atmosphere. And then you accelerate, continue accelerating as you have less resistance and uh, to get to that speed. So the International Space Station, for example, is at uh, around 440 kilometers. But the orbits, of course, extend much beyond that. And you know, some of the communication satellites, traditional communication satellites, actually go up all the way up to 36,000 kilometers, right? Where they're so high, they actually uh, match the rotation of the Earth. So as the Earth rotates, you're always around the same point, right? So you can continuously provide communication signals to the same area. So that's a little bit for you and for your listeners for, for some, some basic orbital dynamics. Uh, fr- from a non-scientist, I guess. But th- what happened is over the, since we started launching, and, and the other amazing thing is actually, I, would, I, I do want to mention this, is that that orbital velocity was amazingly calculated by, uh, by a Russian uh, sort of mathematician philosopher with a little pencil in a little sort of hut outside of Moscow, you know, at the end of 19th century, uh, which, is, which is pretty incredible at the time. And so, you know, the, all the, a lot of the rocket, modern rocketry and the, that's been done in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, it's based on some of his formulas, uh, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. But coming back to the debris issue, you know, what happened is since the first Sputnik, uh, right, since Sputnik was launched by the by the Soviet Union, is that more and more stuff has been launched into orbit. And particularly the orbits, which now are sort of a little bit under threat from a lot of things that are there, essentially, in simpli- very simplistic terms, are these orbits just a little bit above International Space Station and uh, up until 11, 1200. But even the other orbits are, are relatively busy. And you have things which are active, so active satellites. But you have a lot of things 
that are not active anymore. So you have junk, right? That you have either things that collided and you have debris from those collisions, or you have in the olden days and even until now, I think sometimes, unfortunately, the the, the upper stage rockets that bring deliver satellite to an orbit are sometimes left behind there and then be, basically become uncontrollable and they just start spinning at this speed and things which are controllable have to sort of look out for them essentially. That's, that's the dilemma. And because there's more and more launch, right? With, of course, with, there's uh, some big constellations which have been launching and, and uh, still some are announced, uh, especially for these busy orbits, you know, 600, 700, 800 kilometers. Even though there's lots of space, of course, uh, because there's so many of them, so many of these pieces, either large ones, right? Those are, those are a little bit fewer, of course. You can actually count and see them and track them, but they're also small things like bolts and little paint chips. And, uh, and those are, you know, I think some estimates sort of put that number of small things above centimeter up to a million pieces. So that's a huge challenge. There's a question of cleaning it up. Can we clean that up proactively? There's a, but there's also a big question of not polluting anymore. And so basically the, the space sustainability rating, that's uh, coming back to your original question, what it is, is it was a concept designed by the, by the Global Future Council on Space back, we started sort of coming up with that idea in 2016, and we uh, worked on that concept of how it would work, would it make sense? And the idea is it's actually a carrot approach, right? It's not a stick approach, it's voluntary. And essentially, it would incentivize operators, manufacturers, and you know even, even launch providers to be as good as they can be uh, in regards to their debris mitigation strategy, right? So essentially, just like you, know, you have uh, ratings for for example, uh, lead for sustainable buildings or to, you know, uh, energy efficiency of your home appliances to, uh, you know, how much CO2 your, your car emits. You have those simple ratings that consumers can understand and can sort of benchmark across products. And essentially, this is a similar thing to say, how can the space sector compete a little bit more sustainability, right? In the past, it's been competing on, on, on price and, and, and the service it provides. And so we're trying to put a little bit more of a focus on, on the debris topic, right? Uh, so if you have a certain rating, you can say I have a you know, silver or, or just I'm certified or I have maybe even a gold. And if you're not, you know, if you're not doing some things and you, you, know, you, don't, you don't have the certain marks, then maybe you, don't, you, don't get a, you can get certified. And it's a pretty holistic rating. We've been very lucky with our partners. We were working in de- for development of the actual rating. We, uh, we partnered with European Space Agency, but also with MIT Space Enabled Research Group as part of their media labs, uh, Bryce Tech, but also University of Texas. So we had quite diverse expertise and also consulted quite heavily externally to stakeholders. And the, the, you know, the, now we're moving forward. So the development is essentially done and we've selected uh, University of Lausanne, so their EPFL Space Center, to run and operate the rating um, as of 2022. So that's a little bit in a nutshell uh, how it works and what the hope is. And it's been, you know, the concept has been very positively received in the sector by different actors. And I think, you know, the hope is that is, as soon as you start getting sort of a, a critical mass of, of actors buying into it and, and, and getting a rating, hope, the hope is that it pushes others to also, even if they don't get certified or, you know, don't get a basic rating to up their game a little bit in some criteria, because it's, again, it's a pretty holistic type of way to, to measure how sustainable you are versus uh, vis-a-vis debris in orbit. Yeah, that's that's really interesting insights. And um, I, I watched a YouTube video earlier. It started off with 10-meter objects, and uh, you could see them go around the Earth. And then the granularity got smaller and smaller until it got to one millimeter. And in that lower Earth orbit, 
you could almost not even see Earth, which was just a great sort of visual. Well, I think you have to be careful with some of those visual presentations. I mean, numbers-wise, it gives you a perspective, right, of how many pieces are there. Of course, if you put to scale, you know, if you're looking from the moon back to Earth, mm. the debris wouldn't block out the Earth, right? But, but to understand a little bit how many pieces there are there, I think that's those uh, visualizations are extremely helpful. And indeed, you know, if you're, the, I think in the news, you regularly see now that the International Space Station has to be maneuvered and precious fuel has to be used to sort of maneuver it because they think there may be a collision or potential collision. And maybe even if it's not going to be colliding, but it, it may be a debris passing within sort of a, a safety range, right? And so the astronauts have to sort of jump into the, into the different modules to potentially be able to disconnect, right? I mean, we, I think maybe some, some listeners would have seen the Gravity movie, right, with Sandra Bullock. You know, some of the things that maybe not exactly to science, but it was actually pretty close to give an impression of, of what could happen, right? as with orbital debris sort of getting out of control and, and uh, so it's, it's pretty dangerous you know if you're an astronaut uh, out for a spacewalk a small paint ship can be can be life-threatening uh, even a very tiny paint ship but traveling at that speed the, the force of impact could uh, is, is pretty scary right so satellites frequently now have to replace or, or they lose the effectiveness of their of their solar panels because small bits like this which are at this moment uh, untrackable i mean the radars are getting better there are more commercial actors tracking debris but it's still impossible to track very small pieces there's just so many of them as well and so they continually degrade hardware in orbit solar cells you know you can track that a little bit but also you know there's i think a famous chip in one of the windows of, of the international space station so it's it's a big problem it Potentially, will it probably will get actually worse than it, it could get better. And there's there's only a certain limited number of options that the community can can do to not let it evolve to a point of no return, at least at least in certain orbits, right? Mm. So, and then the other thing is you have to get through those orbits. Even if you're not using that orbit, sometimes you have to, you have you may have to get through those orbits to get higher, or to go to you know the moon. Um, so you have to you actually have to be pretty mindful of it. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so the, the space sustainability rating is helping to raise awareness of that and, and potentially mitigate future additions. But what, what can be done with that existing debris up there? Are, are there any solutions? Well, there are lots of ideas, right? And, and we've seen some, um, some interesting models developed by either startup companies or, or established companies come up with different solutions right so again one option is to say well look let's capture the debris that's there if it's big enough and we can capture it and we can either do orbit it and burns up in the atmosphere or perhaps in the future you know you can use that right you can recycle it or directly in orbit you've already launched it you've spent a huge amount of resources launching it up there can we think of actually capturing it and and reusing it i think that's a little bit further away um, so i think the big question now is to prevent some of those big pieces colliding and creating thousands of new debris pieces, right? We've seen how that can impact the overall evolution of debris uh, through a couple of big collisions about 15 years ago. So it's, it's, it's removing with various technology, either with nets or magnets or harpoons or hooks or whatever it may be, right? So there are lots of things that are that sort of the community is working on to ensure that, that old objects don't stay there. The question is also in financing. So for some of those objects that some of the sort of original space powers have put up there and that are spinning there for 20, 30, 40 years, who's going to pay for them, right? Where does the responsibility lie? So I think there is a little bit of work to be done in, with the international community to come up with some uh, ideas. And again, you know, that's where probably some models like innovative financing models or some kind of insurance or, you know, shared 
sharing the costs um, for removal will probably need to be to be done to come up with some kind of if not consensus to to some at least a lot of stakeholders saying okay let's work together on this and let's let's figure that out smaller pieces i think it's a big question i don't know i, I don't think there are many technologies to remove the very small pieces of debris um, and again of course if the, the higher they're up there right the, the, there's the basically going to stay up there right so anything above five six hundred kilometers more or less there's basically no atmospheric drag so they'll stay there forever or at least the future that, that we can sort of look into and they'll continue to evolve right if you don't remove the big pieces with probability you know you'll you'll have sometimes collisions and they'll create more small pieces so that's why it's critical to sort of address it from different angles remove the big pieces uh, be very careful actually managing the current constellations so make sure you don't create new collisions Right, and we're launching more objects, so that's why it's critical to actually have some kind of governance framework and 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 uh, ways where different countries and different constellations actually have a traffic management uh, is a term in the space sector to manage the traffic, and also be very careful and be very responsible of how you manage your own hardware up there. On on that governance side of things, how would that framework look, and what what sort of structures are needed to be in place for such a uh, for such a thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of collaboration conversation. I think that's that's for one, you know. And and I think the, the trick is as as with challenges that concern the, the entire globe, right? And and the space sector is 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 a pretty good example, right? It's the orbits all shared, right? You have missions from from many countries. You have now basically 100, 100 countries that that have uh, signed on. To the UN uh, as you know, being sort of space actors, right? Not necessarily all having uh, their launch capabilities, but being part of the international community, right? That maybe have a satellite, or maybe they have bought a satellite, right? And, and using some services from there, so that's that's pretty incredible. But you know, as as we've seen <laughs> with some challenges on Earth, unfortunately, different countries will have different priorities, uh, different types of interests. Uh, you have countries who have just entered the the space sector, right? Uh, you have countries that have been there for for fifty years um, and have lots of lots of equipment up there, lots of business that's dependent on you know national security or whatnot. And so, as, you know, unfortunately, not everybody sees perfectly eye to eye in terms of how to approach it. I think there are some good examples of collaboration, of course, the International Space Station being a perfect one, right? Where you know you have international community, but primarily it's it's the Russians and the, and the Americans and the Europeans. Um, and, and, and Japanese and, and, and several other countries, you know, working together on a project that required pretty close collaboration and alignment, uh, considering the environment. So, you know, there I think we've seen that there are some strains that that kind of relationship can also experience. But the hope is that for for the orbital uh, regime, right, to look to, to figure out some basic rules and say, look, it's we're all worked by the same physics up there. Uh, we understand the value. We understand that we cannot ruin it because otherwise it will, it will be almost impossible to fix it and we'll all suffer from it. Uh, we have to figure out some basic approaches and even if we have some differences of opinion, whether it be how many objects we think we can put into us, you know, a, a cube volume of, of space, right? And uh, what's the closest safe approach? You know, you may have disagreements there, but in general, I think the experts agree from different countries of what's safe, what's, you know, rather not safe, you know, what we should do, what we should not do. So I think there's opportunity to to work together. I think it's it's really a, a lot about working together, bringing different stakeholders together, b- building trust, and saying you know, sh- explaining again the benefits because sometimes a lot of times you know the folks in the sector have to rely on other government uh, bodies that perhaps don't work in the sector, right, and have their own pressures 
uh, and having that communication to showcase what's what's actually happening, what's the value, uh, I think is going to be critical. So lots of work to be done, I think, but there's just so many opportunities there. You know, I think a sim- similar thing goes to exploration, right? Is you know, you've seen a couple international collaborations, for example, for moon exploration. But again, I, I certainly hope that you know we can find ways to to make sure that at least there's information sharing. If it's not close collaboration, at least there's information sharing to ensure that things sort of you know either support each other or at least don't conflict with each other, and and sort of go at its at, at their own paces. Because yeah, uh, when you start looking at further out uh, a couple of decades from now, or at least a decade from now, there's 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 lots of excitement, and that's that's the excitement I think that we can and we should pass to to the younger generations because they're going to be those those things those those projects those business models that technology is going to be part of helping us address. Uh, a lot of challenges we have on Earth, as well as creating its own environment and space, and and exciting exciting opportunities in space directly. But uh, you know, making a little bit of a jump, I think you know it's it's space sector has always been sort of fascinating to to younger, to kids, uh, to school children, university students. Certainly had an impact on me when I was a, when I was a child growing up. I think we have to show, continue to show that, continue to bring that excitement. And have children go into into STEM education, and oh, but but not even you know. Again, I'm I, I didn't have the engineering background. You could you can go into business and then sort of go into a little bit more into policy. Uh, you don't need to understand all the complicated, extremely complicated formulas and all these things, right? To support the sector to be part of it, uh, to be part of that exciting growth. And the other thing I would say is that there's all these links now. They're going to have relationships with other sectors like energy. Artificial intelligence, AR, VR, but even media, entertainment, and sport, uh, where you have you know other sectors which seemingly are not really connected, going to have more and more overlaps with the space sector uh, because of those technologies, because of those business models coming online, involving the space sector being or space sector involving those business models, advanced manufacturing, on and on, right? So. It's it's an exciting area, but uh, certainly lots of things to sort of work through. And, and I think we need people who are interested and passionate about it from all walks of life, right, to, to be part of the journey. If you just had to narrow down what you thought were like the top few most exciting prospects for space, so you can sort of take this where anywhere, what, what would you think they are? Uh, top three, that's, that's pretty hard. Um, you know, I think if we look, a little bit closer to home in terms of again coming speaking first and foremost of the value this the space sector brings is helping us address some of the challenges here so i'll maybe put that into one bucket if if, if you allow me to cheat a little bit but things that the technologies that allow us to understand our climate understand our planet even better than we do today that will give sort of live day-to-day analysis of situation right and 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 allow us to to better manage our resources to better make decisions i think that's absolutely critical as as you know as we enter the third decade of the century and face all these uh, certainly the climate challenges part of that i think is technology that can be sort of in orbit that will allow us to help you know to help us get to to net zero uh such as solar power generation in orbit um i think sort of a second exciting thing is is yeah more frequent access to space I think I'm realistically optimistic about about having a chance to go to some at some point to some altitude in space in my lifetime. Um, I don't think, and I'm I'm certainly uh, by no means a millionaire. So, okay, I think can I come in your in your luggage? <laughs> <laughs> I, and I don't I don't think I don't think um, 
you know, you'll need to be a millionaire to do that. Uh, certainly not in the next five or 10 years, I don't think. But if you look 20, 30, 40 years down the line, if we grow the space sector sustainably, and we didn't talk about sort of atmospheric emissions from launch, right? Um, again, they're, you know, I think it's important to note that because those questions have come up recently. So far, they're pretty, pretty, pretty limited and pretty inconsequential. But again, if launch increases... Uh, exponentially, then that you know the sector will have to be mindful of that, and the type of fuel it uses, just like the aviation is grappling with that topic now with sustainable aviation fuels or electric hydrogen, etc., propulsion. So I think that access the notion of, of actually being able to go to space or even just just getting there, right? To be able to see that curvature, to be able to see the darkness, and there are even actually business models now um, with with high altitude balloon flying, right? Which which avoids some of those perhaps challenges, right? You don't get quite to space, but uh, I think in terms of visually stunning images and perspective. Um, and then I think third exciting thing, of course, is, is sort of deep space exploration and, uh, and actually being able to have science instruments on some of those missions, whether it's the moon, whether it's going all the way to Mars. I mean, that's, of course, it's a whole thing on itself, perhaps getting as far as Mars, right, for, for, for humans. But being able to do science uh, which is even more impactful and, and allows us to understand uh, even more the universe, our, certainly not only our solar system, but I would say the universe. There's some exciting things I've seen on what kind of telescope you could create on, on, on the dark side of the moon that would just be exponentially more powerful and uh, get, get you so much more knowledge about this, the, the universe. So there's, there's, it's, just, it's just incredible what we'll be able to see and, and, and know, I think, in the coming decades. Yeah, it's, it's great. I said that there's lots of things we haven't been able to, to touch on, but conscious that we're rapidly approaching our, our time. So we have to move on to our closing questions, which we try and ask each guest each week. So I'll do the first one, which is uh, just what advice would you give to someone who is considering a career in you know, the space sector, the space sustainability sector, maybe? Yeah, I, I think it's um, the, the main advice is, you know, I don't think you need to be uh, necessarily in engineering to, to, to go into space sector. So you, if you're not on that track, don't feel that you have no option anymore, no choice, no chance to go to, to, to get into the space sector. Again, uh, my own example, you know, I've only done two sort of pretty high level basic courses on, on astrophysics and astronomy, you know, but again, very high level uh, in my bachelor degree, just to give you a little bit of understanding and perspective. Because the space sector is going to grow, it will need all kinds of disciplines uh, and professionals. And actually, Having you know come from a different sort of or coming from a different sector could give you even make it could be your strength uh, because it can allow you even if you're coming from a different sector altogether it will give you a different understanding and perspective right a lot of times if you focus on one sector you can be sometimes somewhat close-minded not understand the different perspectives so I think don't be don't be support, don't be disappointed if you're not really in the space program or in engineering aerospace engineering right now, right? If you're interested in the space sector, read, follow the news, uh, follow the articles. Uh, there are a number of books coming out or have been out on, on, on the new space or, or, or the space race, you know, understand a little bit the history. Uh, it's a pretty exciting history of, of exploration. Um, and yeah, and, 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 and sort of look for opportunities. I think there are going to be more and more opportunities to go into space from in, in all sorts of disciplines in the coming years and decades. All right, thank you. Um, some interesting advice there. And then finally, if listeners were to take away one key message from our conversation today, what would you like it to be? The key message is space is absolutely critical uh, for our way of life, 
for helping us solve the challenges that we have uh, on planet Earth, which is our only planet, which is our only home uh, mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future and, and even for the future that's not foreseeable, even if we can make other planets or, or places in, in our solar system livable. Uh, for all of us, this is our home, so we have to pr protect it. But space is absolutely critical to helping us live better and, and safer on planet Earth. So for that, I think we have to recognize that, make sure that, that we do everything we can to, to, to protect the space environment and particularly the orbital environment around Earth um, and, and invest. It's important to invest in space because actually space gives so much for us uh, in return, uh, much more actually than we put into it. So I'm really a, a strong believer in that, and it's an exciting time to be to be working with space or following the space the space sector as as we enter the third decade. It certainly has been exciting and an interesting conversation, and you've left us with lots of things to look forward to. So I guess just all that's left for me to do now is just thank you for your time today on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Alex. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be to have an opportunity to to share and uh, honored to be invited and. Uh, Look forward to maybe another another conversation in the coming years.